unable to be here. I thought Nelson picked out some really very interesting and, and helpful and instructive uh, sermons from the past that uh, were good to be played, really. So, uh, it's good to be back. It's, and it's also that my voice is still right on the edge. I can hear it myself. Maybe you can a little. So, fortunately, I'm kind of a soft-spoken person. But uh, I will try to go a little slower and not use much volume and perhaps make this a little short as well because I'm trying to say what I can so it can be schedule for the Feast of Tabernacles. Some of you from out of town might not have gotten it. I left a few extra over there. Maybe you got them, or if we need more, I can just run them out on the printer easy enough. Do, do we need more? Does anybody need a schedule? I guess not. But if you do run up against me, just holler. Or even say it. It's okay. You don't have to holler. There are some sign-up sheets for the meals Tuesday and Wednesday or on the table or on the kitchen? On the table here at the back of the hall for uh, things you can bring in addition to the main meal. So we have that set up and ready to go. Then, of course, the first meeting of the feast will be Monday at 1 o'clock. Now, before we get into the sermon per se, uh, we haven't had sermonettes in a long time, so I think I'll give one. Uh, just a short study into a question that was asked uh, this week. We're going into a third tithe year from this fall. This will be the third in, a, in the seven-year cycle uh, from this feast through until next feast. Uh, but the question was asked as to when precisely we start keeping the third tithe year. Uh, that is a little vague in some respects, I think, in the Scripture. Uh, the Jews traditionally have done it on at, from Feast of Trumpets. That's when they started the, the civil years. Uh, I looked that up to see what authority the Jews used to do it then. And in the Bible dictionaries, it didn't really give me much. Uh, the scriptures they use don't really address it uh, hardly at all. So it's a matter, basically, there of Jewish tradition. And I don't trust those very far, uh, having had experience with a lot of them. Uh, so I don't necessarily think Peace of Trumpets is the right time. They, they cited a scripture that you're supposed to have a blowing of trumpets on... That day, and they started the civil year on that day. Well, where does I have trumpets? So they were on every important day new moon, holy day, whatever. So uh, that really isn't much of, a, of an authority. 
I think we can nail it down somewhat, though, and make some sense of it. Let's go to Deuteronomy 26 to begin with here. Deuteronomy 26. Here's where the overall command is lined out for us in verse 12. Uh, when you have made an end of tithing all the tithes of your increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levites, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. So it's speaking of this third year that we're just entering out of a seven-year cycle. Recall, of course, uh, God has a jubilee year every 50th year, and you have seven seven-year cycles to make a total of 49 and then the 50th year. And you had a third tithe year every third year, sort of. It was on the third in the six years out of a seven-year cycle. The seventh year being a year of release, so you didn't count it as part of the sequence. But it was on the third year. Now, this differs from the first tithe or the festival tithe, the second tithe, and it's easy to show in Scripture. I don't have time today. This would take a whole sermon or two to go through all the Scriptures. But it's clear by usage uh, which tithe is for what. Uh, people have tried to say, well, you just lump it all into one, and you do it every three years, or they come up with all kinds of ideas about how to do it. But the sequence is very clear through the Bible, and whether it's talking, we just simply call it first, second, and third tithe. You could call it A, B, and C tithe. You could call it the Levitical tithe, the feast tithe, or the widow orphan tithe. I mean, you could use different names to identify, but it's the usage in Scripture that shows how they're different from each other and that they are indeed uh, separate tithes. Okay? And the third tithe only comes every third year. Uh, and that did end in the fall. And it shows that this particular tithe is for the Levites, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow within your gates. So it is a, a charity tithe, if you will, that people keep every third year to be sure that the poor of the land or the needy, those who are less fortunate and don't have a breadwinner or whatever, God takes care of them. And indeed, through many, many prophecies, God shows that we are to be sure to take care of the widow and the orphan and not to oppress them or misuse them or abuse them in any way. So uh, that's important to God, that the needy be taken care of. Now, needy doesn't mean somebody who refuses to work. Very clear in the New Testament, Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> if somebody won't work, don't feed them. He makes it very clear. Uh, now, if they don't have any arms or legs, uh, they might have trouble working and they're needy. Or, you know, all kinds of debilities might be things that could cause somebody not to be able to earn a living. And then they come under the umbrella of being taken care of by the rest of us. So, we could get into an awful lot on this, but uh, overall, that's the thing. Now, let's look at Deuteronomy 16. 
thing. Uh, he's talking about the holy days in this context. He says, Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the eternal your God in the place which he shall choose. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and in the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the eternal empty. And then it talks, this is free will offerings here. It's not about tithes. But the point is, he gathers the men. Women and children didn't, don't have to come by law. They're invited and welcome and should come, if at all possible, certainly. But each family God commanded be represented by at least the man. And they were to come in those three seasons. Passover season, Pentecost season, and then the fall season. He doesn't mention trumpets and atonement here, but mentions the Feast of Tabernacles, since it is the biggest, longest feast, and it's the season of the Feast of Tabernacles, basically. So he doesn't make a specification here, except that they were to come. So when does it start, or when do you start keeping ending one tithe year and starting the next. It doesn't really answer that here, but I wanted to bring it in to show that it's these three seasons, these three times. But when then, in the fall seasons, would you use? Here then, let's go to uh, Leviticus 25. And I think we'll start finding an answer here. Leviticus 25. I went to 26 and I got confused for a minute there. Guess I'll turn on my light so I can see. Okay, here in verse... Uh, Eight, and you shall number seven Sabbaths of years to you, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. After those have concluded, then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. So here we have a trumpet on atonement. Uh, that's, as, that's as good a reason to do it on atonement is the Jews have for doing it on trumpets. That's about all they mention as far as when they suck. In the Day of Atonement shall you make the trumpet sound through all, throughout all your land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee to you, and you shall return every man to his possession, and you shall return every man to his family. Uh, right there, it, it calls it a financial event, if you will. It's the time from the atonement that you uh, return land to the family that, it orig that originally owned it. It's the time you forgive all debt that you might have toward anybody or they toward you. Uh, a year of liberty. You turn every man his possession, verse 13. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy anything to your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. 
And then it says from the beginning of the Jubilee, the years that come, the next 49 years after that, uh, if you buy of your neighbor according to the number of years of the fruits, he shall sell to you. So you didn't really sell land, you leased it out for 49 years, or could. And you paid based on what year you got it in the cycle, third year, fifteenth year, whatever, was the amount that you paid for it, because it was going to go back to the original family, the next jubilee that came around. So God kept families from being completely broke uh, because of, say, one man's foolishness. Uh, if he couldn't manage and wound up having to sell his land or lease it out for how many years, it would come back to that family. So that way, it helped keep poverty out of the land to a great extent, because every family had a fresh start every 50 years. Uh, he bears that out in verse 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, and your strangers, and so on. So, uh, tie that with Luke 4, where Christ proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord in uh, Luke 4, uh, and he did that on atonement. So here we have evidence that this was a financial change, if you will, on the Day of Atonement, with the Jubilee being declared. So you became at one with your possession again, or your land, or whatever. And it was the Day of Atonement, not the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of Tabernacles, but on Atonement. So it does not say in so many words anywhere that I have found uh, that you begin that civil year, financial year, uh, on a particular date, uh, but this would seem to indicate it is the most logical and the one where financial consequences are addressed. So I think that makes it clear that it's... Uh, far more favorable than Trumpets, which has no such information at all, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which has none at all along these lines, but atonement does. So based on that scripture, I would say that is the most likely time that God would have us make the division from our regular tithing to the third tithe year, would be atonement. Now, bear in mind also they were an agricultural society, and that's had quite a bit to do with it because you had harvested your crop and then you brought the tithe of your crop or of your animal to the feast and turned it in. Now I suspect they probably turned it in when they arrived, which would have been before the Feast of Trumpets for the fall season. Uh, so there could be something said for that, but the reason for that would simply be the logistics. Here you have thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people coming to the feast, and if they stayed in a tent or an inn or wherever, uh, they didn't move all the animals with them. They did have some no pets allowed places uh, back then. I'm sure that included camels and cows and horses and lambs and goats. So. Uh, 
they must have had herdsmen there and some corrals and various ways set up ahead of time to take care of an incredible volume of animals that were coming to the feast with the people. Uh, it did say that if the distance was too far to drive your animals to the feast, that you could sell them at home, turn it into money, and then bring that and turn it in for your tithes and offerings instead of the animals. But they were dealing in agriculture for the most part. Now, not all of them. Uh, there were innkeepers. Christ in the, was born in an inn, stable, but because of the overflow of people. And you had fishermen. Uh, you didn't herd your fish to market uh, six <laughs> months old. <laughs> if you sold fish, or you caught fish, you sold them the same day. So if they fished on the day before atonement, they sold the fish that day and had the money in hand. Or if they fished the day after atonement uh, and sold the fish, they had money in hand. So why I'm saying that is to bring it down to the modern times of our paycheck, since we're not in a primarily agricultural society, and we don't have all the burnt offerings and so on that they had back then that that large volume of animals was needed for. Uh, today, you might just prorate your check, let's say. If your check covers the week before atonement and the week after atonement, you don't necessarily have to pay on the full amount of the check if it comes just before or just after, because third tithe is for one year, let's say atonement to atonement. So if you want to, let's say, not pay third tithe on the first part of the check that covered that period of time before atonement, and then just pay it on the amount that you approved after the day of atonement, if you got the check three days or a week later or whatever, uh, you can do the bookkeeping yourself. But you don't need to pay third tithe a little less than a year or a little more than a year, but just a year. Now, that's the principle involved. So, I think the scripture would give us a fairly good picture that atonement is the time of demarcation there. All right, that should be enough on that. Now, I was working determining what I wanted to go through today, and I had some ideas in mind that didn't necessarily include the book of Isaiah, uh, where we've been going through, but then when I thought about it, it kind of fits perfectly, so we're going to go back to Isaiah, and the timing of this also fits the Feast of the, the Tabernacles perfectly, if I don't go beyond chapter 10 today. But we've been in the context talking about how there would be a conspiracy to destroy this land, and uh, the Assyrian would come into the land and would overflow, even come into the Holy Land, as we go back to chapters 8 and 9. Let's go to 9.13 for a moment as a review. For the people turn not to him that smote them, neither do they seek the eternal of hosts. 
Therefore the Eternal will, will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, in one day. That is a very short period of time. It doesn't mean 24 hours. It's a prophetic day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. Now notice verse 16. For the leaders of this people caused them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Let me make a comment here. We suffer in this country a great deal from normalcy bias. That is, we expect things to go on as they have gone on, because that's the way we've been trained and taught and believed. <coughs> this may be bad. But I was taught in civics class back in the 5th, 6th, 7th grade that we had a wonderful form of government, and that our government was there for us. <coughs> kinds of good things for us. I'm driving the sound guys mad back there. Maybe I ought to flip that button off when I call. But I can already feel this. Um, but we were taught that everything was okay. And now over the decades, we've had more post and communist managed, uh, teaching in our schools. And our kids now believes that the government is here to take care of it. They'll give you an iPhone. They'll give you a subsistence check. Uh, if things go sour, then uh, they'll give, come up with a digitized system to give us so much money a month. And we won't need to work because the government will take care of us. So we're suffering with this normalcy bias and it's hard for us to grasp these scriptures that show that we're going under, we're going down. And it is our leaders that are causing us to be in error. We're going to see today that we've been sold out. I've mentioned this before, and there are quite a few on the conservative social media networks that also indicates that our leaders are coming us out. Uh, we have this war going in on in Ukraine, and our media is trying to tell us it's our fault, uh, I mean that it's Russia's fault, when it's our fault. We didn't put Russia near our air bases. We built our air bases near Russia. Russia does not have a big air base across the Bering Strait from Alaska. Neither do they have a big air base just south of El Paso. They don't have a big base in Cuba uh, with all kinds of war material there. They don't have it. But we have clustered around them. And we're the ones that pushed the coup in Ukraine in 2014 and then backed off a bit. And we were pushing to have NATO move in to Ukraine <clears throat> and even closer to Russia. And Russia finally said, I've had enough of that. Back off. And we're the ones that pushed them to cause the war in Ukraine. But that's not what our leaders are telling us. Not at all. 
are leaders that caused us to be in error. And they are the ones who are pushing for war. If Americans would just look, how often do you see Russia invading Libya or Iraq or anywhere else? They just don't. It doesn't happen. How often do you see us doing it? Pretty regularly. Anywhere the, the American petrodollar has been uh, tried to be gone around, we go in and bomb them to death. And we make sure that they still have to use U.S. dollars. Now that is very rapidly slipping away from us. And the Russians and Chinese and it's Indians and everyone else are beginning to use their own currencies and bypass the dollar. And those dollars are going to be turned back into their own currencies. Now, when they sell those dollars, where do they go? They come back here by the trillions. And if you think we have inflation now, wait till all those dollars come back here and are all over the streets and worthless because the U.S. dollar is going down and down very rapidly once this thing starts. It still looks fairly strong today. Why? Because the other currencies are so weak. So they still have desired the dollar to a degree. But that's going to change. It's changing very rapidly. And our leaders are causing us to be destroyed. They that are led of them are destroyed. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Bushes or the Clintons or the Obamas or the Bidens or whoever it is. They're all on the take and they're all behind this thing. People tried to trust Trump, but he's now bragging about putting the vaccine out there and helping cause the COVID thing. Well, that was designed to kill millions of people. It hasn't killed as many yet as they thought it would, but it's still killing people. And our leaders pushed that on us. We have to come to the point, and maybe you do by now, where you realize our leaders in Washington are causing us to be in error it will cause us to be destroyed. That's what it says right here. Calls them hypocrites and evildoers and so on. And it will turn the peoples of Israel against one another. It says right here in verse 21, Manasseh and Ephraim and Ephraim against Manasseh and they together shall be against Judah. For this his anger is not turned away, but his hand stretched out still. So God is going to cause the European and American people to turn on one another. Uh, that is happening today as we speak in Europe, because as things get bad, the nations there are starting to criticize one another and blame one another for what's going on. And there was uh, sabotage of the uh, northern German train session, uh, not session, uh, network, uh, over the night. And the trains all stopped in northern Germany. 
Who's this going to get blamed on? Well, we'll see. But rail service in Europe is a huge thing, much bigger than it is today in America. And if they stop the trains, they stop an awful lot of commerce. And the rivers are so low in Europe right now that barge travel is restricted a great deal. Uh, it's either completely stopped in some places, or the water is so low that they can only take maybe half of what they normally would carry to keep enough freeboard uh, to keep them from dragging and going aground. The droughts that God speaks of are upon us, and we're going to have disarray among ourselves. They also blew up the only bridge that Russia had across the Crimea uh, last night or yesterday, whatever it was, uh, and Russia had only that bridge to resupply their troops who were fighting against Ukraine on the other side of the Crimea. This thing is escalating very rapidly. Uh, one reason I want to go into chapter 10 today is to show the way that a lot of this is going to happen, and it isn't the way a lot of people today are saying. You see a lot if you're reading uh, the news and on the alternative news. There's a great deal of talk, and between Putin and even Biden, about this thing escalating to a nuclear World War III. And a lot of people are getting afraid again, like they were in the 60s, of a huge nuclear war with MAD, that is, mutually assured destruction, uh, where once it starts and escalates, no flesh would be saved alive. Now, from purely looking at it, uh, with the weapons that are available, with the madmen who are behind a lot of this, it would be logical to assume that we're going to have nuclear war pretty quickly. But this thing in the Ukraine is escalating very rapidly. Is that going to take place? Just a question I'm throwing out there. Where does that fit? Let's go into chapter 10. Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees and the right, that right grievousness which they have prescribed. This is a now event in our country. They're making all kinds of laws uh, that are unrighteous, like killing babies, and not only unborn ones, but some that have even been born. And they're talking about laws to euthanize old people as well. Uh, and they are making laws allowing the government to come in and kill Americans at will. These, have all, these things have already been written in the Patriot Act. Uh, they can foment a civil war, if you will, and they are all, already talking about killing all Americans who are Christians, who are Republicans, whoever wore a MAGA hat, uh, and on and on it goes. They have a hit list, and they take the information off the social media, Facebook or whatever, and they compile it, and any comments you make on any of those forums that lean one direction or another politically can put you on a list. And it is a list for destruction. 
and we're having our Congress people say these people need to be destroyed. Are you hearing that? Are we hearing that? Are they really saying that? Yeah. They get tape of them saying those things. These people need to go. What they're trying to do is start a civil war. And they're writing all kinds of laws to promote it. And God says, woe to them. Now, what is their goal here? God lays this out. Verse 2, to turn aside the needy from judgment. Our court system does not go by law anymore or by the Constitution. It goes by the opinion of mostly democratic liberal judges. And to take away the right from the poor of my people. Are our rights being destroyed? Is getting to the point they're trying to take your gun rights away? Trying to take your free speech rights away? Trying to take your freedom to chasten, to discipline your children away? And if they find anything that they think they can use, they'll come get your kids and do what? Sell them into slavery for the most part. To the pedophiles who are at the top of our government. Take away the right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. We have a system in place financially that is taking the money away from the poor and the middle class and giving it to the very rich. And you see inflation destroying your, your paycheck right now today. Uh, they don't like to admit it, but it's happening. And you feel it. You know it. You see the prices going up. They're taking the money away from the poor and the middle class. God wrote this thousands of years ago, and it's happening right before our very eyes. And what will you do in the day of visitation? Now, this is when God decides that he's going to visit his wrath upon the nations of Israel. Those who make these laws and write these things, and in the desolation which shall come from far, we are going to go into desolation and it's coming from far away. To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? You have all these big offices, secretary of this and that and president and vice president and so on. Where are you going to leave that? It's all going to be taken away. Without me, God says, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. Now that gives me a picture that when our nation is invaded from afar, who do they want to take out first? The one that they have been making deal with, deals with to sell us out. They don't trust them either. They know they're liars and crooks. They know what's on Hunter Biden's laptop. They know what's in Hillary Clinton's cell phone and in her brain, did I say? They know all this stuff. And they don't trust them a bit. 
So if our leaders have turned on us and caused us to err and are leading us to destruction, the Russians and the Chinese know that. So they'll be the first to fall. Says so they'll fall under the prisoners and the slain. They'll go down first and the others will fall in on top of them as they kill them. I think that's pretty clear. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but, out, but his hand is stretched out still. Then he clarifies in verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. So God is going to send the Assyrian from afar to destroy this nation. Now I could go into many scriptures, and we have, about the northern army and about it being the Assyrian. And here he says he's the rod of God's anger. Decades ago we thought this would be Germany because of what they had done in World War I and World War II and would probably repeat, but that does not appear to be the case at all. Germany is about to go through a winter of starvation and cold and all kinds of trouble, along with the rest of the Israelite nations, and I think Germany is Israelite like the rest of Western Europe. But where is a power that is capable of this? There are only two really on the earth at the moment, that would be Russia and China. It's a pretty short list of the ones that have enough nuclear and enough war material and enough troops to come in and take over this nation. Uh, and that's where it started. Whether you realize it or not, World War III has already begun. It's in the initial stages. I think I said last time I spoke, is first quarter, like in a ball game, but it has started. It started between the United States, NATO, and Russia. And make no mistake, the Ukraine could not be standing up at all against Russia if it didn't have billions of dollars of aid from the U.S. and Europe. There's no way. Uh, and they're forcing Putin to the point that he may use, indeed, some bigger uh, bombs, some more powerful ones, uh, because they are blowing up bridges and doing things that uh, affect him and affect the Russian nation. So it's going to escalate. Why? If we allowed him to, to annex those four parts of Ukraine and go home, and we went home, this thing would stop. Right there, it would stop. But as long as we keep pushing and pushing and sending more material and more people in there, then Russia has to keep fighting because they understand that the Pentagon and the United States want World War III very desperately. They're tied in with the globalists who want the population of the earth decimated. And the biggest hate that is going on in the world today is of all the nations against whom? Western Europe, America, Canada, where Israel is. 
Now, people can't understand what happened to the twelve lost tribes of Israel. They just appeared. They must have gone up in a cloud somewhere. Nobody knows where they are. Read the scriptures a little bit and see that the times of the Gentiles is about to come upon us where the Gentiles will take over the power of the world and the scriptures that showed that Israel would be the preeminent world leaders are going to be destroyed. All you have to do is look at that, look at the world today, and see who has been in charge, British Empire, then the Americans, and you can see the ones who want to take power, Russia, India, China, and so on, and the Bible shows very clearly that it's Israel against the rest of the Gentile world, and that the Gentiles are going to take over, and that is precisely what is happening as we sit here today. China and Russia and India and all these are getting stronger by the day, and we're getting weaker by the day, and our own government is destroying our military, and we're not going to have anything left. So the Assyrian is coming. They're the rod of God's anger. Now, when you get angry at your kid, you get yourself a rod or a strap or a belt or a something. Uh, you don't want to hurt your hand unnecessarily. You need to hit him hard enough that it would hurt your hand, I think is the point. So you get something else, and you smack them with that so that it stings and it hurts, and it makes them say, oh, maybe I should quit what I'm doing. That's what God does. He takes a rod or a staff, and he's going to whoop us with it. And that staff is going to be the Ethereum, which I think is the Russian today. Combined with a lot of other nations, a coalition against America is now forming. Arabia, China, Russia, and a lot of others. The Arabs just cut back their oil production by 2 million barrels a day. And Biden pleaded with them, oh, don't do this, please don't do this. And they did it anyway. Because they know they can get away with it, and they can do whatever they want, and America has become a pussycat. And now our price of fuel is going to go up to 8, 9, 10 bucks a gallon, wherever it goes. And they don't care because they hate us. And they want us to be gone because we're Israel. The Israel that represented at one time God. And they hate God. So, the Assyrian is coming. I will send him, verse 6, against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them, the people, down like the mire of the streets. So they're going to come in and take everything we've got and tread us down. Howbeit he means not so, neither does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations not a few, quite a few, all the Israelite nations he's going to take down. Now, some people view Putin as a Christian. Putin views Putin as a Christian. And he doesn't think it's in his heart to destroy a lot of nations. 
And as I said earlier, he's not the one been running around destroying nations. That's been us. But it's in there. And the more we push him, sooner or later, he's going to do it. You can only push him so far. And there's even a story about him when he was a boy of having a large rat chase him into a... Oh no, he chased, I guess, a large rat into a corner. And then the rat bared his teeth and climbed all over poor Vladimir and chewed him up and scratched him a bit. And he's not wanted to be cornered or to face someone in a corner since. That's a story about him that's gone around. So he was beginning to feel cornered by all of our bases and moving NATO closer, and then he attacked. But having annexed those four nations legally, those four pieces of Ukraine, he would back off if we would, but we won't. We are bound and determined to destroy this nation. That is, our leaders are. They've caused us to err, and they will lead us to destruction. We read up there in those two verses. It is going to happen. No doubt about it. For he says, verse 8, Are not my princes altogether kings? These other people think they're kings. we got Charles III now thinks he's a king. And he is about as evil a man as walks the earth. I'm not so sure he has Israelite blood in his veins either. I've got a pretty good idea he's Edomite. And Edom, or Esau, is going to be a part of the destruction of all the Israelite nations, including this one. So what's that boy? He has also said he wants to see 90% of the earth's population reduced. So the Russian says, my princes are kings just as much as yours are. Is not Calmo, is Tarkinash, and then he names a bunch of them and says, are mine just as good as these? Verse 10, as my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and Samaria. He says, you call yourselves Christians? You're not Christians. You're following the gods of this world. And I've heard Putin use words very similar to that, where he talked about the West not being Christian at all. I, I read a quote not long ago saying essentially that. It's right here, talking about it. Shall I not, as I have done to Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Why do these people think they're any better than anybody else? I'll come in and I'll destroy them. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Eternal has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. So he says, I'm going to use the Assyria to come in and destroy Israel, and then I'll punish him for what he's done to my people. What he's done will come back on his own head. That is, in the process of the prophecies coming to pass. For he says, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am, moved, for I am prudent 
and I've removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I've put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. So, the lead Assyrian, which is probably Putin, I think this thing will happen before he's gone, or by his immediate replacement, if he is assassinated today or tomorrow or whatever, is speaking of a nation of people coming against us, not a particular man necessarily, but his personality and his outlook pretty much fit what we're reading here. And he will justify it, saying, hey, I should have done this. This is something that I've done. He won't give God credit for it being his anger and using him to destroy like God did with Nebuchadnezzar when he sent them to captivate Israel. He'll attribute it all to himself. But notice what he will have done. He'll remove the bounds. So there's no borders that are safe. Our, our borders will all be gone. Have robbed their treasures, so he'll take everything of value in the land. And I've put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand has found as a nest the riches of the people. And as one gathers eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeked. You know, you try to rob a bird's nest and sometimes you'll get a bird all over yourself. Trying to defend that which is hurt. But he's going to come in and do this without what? Opposition. No one's going to try to stop it. <coughs> there will be no mother bird to attack his head. Why? Because our leaders cause us to err and are leading us to destruction. It's the people in Washington, D.C. who are going to cause us to be destroyed. <coughs> now, if that upsets your normalcy bias, I'm sorry. But that's the way it's going to be. Now, is this going to be nuclear? I asked earlier. <coughs> And I'm going to give you several reasons why I don't think so, and they're all biblically based. It's being built up is going to be a major nuclear confrontation, and America destroyed, Russia destroyed, everything destroyed. That's not what they want. Now let's start with Ezekiel 5, which I've quoted many times, where it says, One third will die one third will die by the sword and one third will go into captivity and a sword will go after them now what does that tell us about nuclear war to me that tells me that's not what's going to happen a third uh, three thirds or two thirds are not going to be killed by a nuclear attack Famine and pestilence are coming. And we see that coming upon Europe today uh, with the oil, the gas being cut off. We see it coming on America with the fertilizer being cut off and all food processing plants being destroyed one right after another and all the things that are going on to shut down our food supply. And we also have weather drought, which to a great degree is man-made so that we can't produce crops 
and we will go into famine, and pestilence comes with famine. And pestilence also comes with uh, diseases that they release upon us. Who released the disease on us? Our own leaders caused it to be formed, caused it to be caused, and then turned it loose on us. And then they turned vaccines on us that are designed to kill us. Our leaders in Washington did this. And we're being affected greatly by it. And God says it will be our leaders that do it. So all I'm doing is pointing out that they're doing what God said they'd do. But if one-third will be taken captive, how do you do that if you've just bombed us back to the 18th century with nuclear weapons? You would have a nuclear disaster, and they couldn't even set foot on this ground for decades, hundreds of years. So how are they going to come in and take us captive and take us as slaves back to work for them if they've just destroyed nearly all of us with nuclear bombs and you can't even come in and get the rest and take them captive? So the very way Ezekiel describes this indicates they're not going to have a mutually assured destructive nuclear war. I think that should be clear. Because it's going to happen the way God says it will, not the way somebody in the New York Post says it's going to happen. Let's take... Well, and I've used that logic before. The Chinese have said very clearly, some of their top leaders, that they do not want the United States destroyed. They want to come in and use it to colonize. They have more mouths than they can feed, and they need room. So they've said, we want to take over America so we can send our people over there. Well, if you've got a nuclear winter here, you're not going to do that. So China does not want to see us bomb to oblivion. They want us gone and the land left for them to use. Now let's go to Daniel 8. And back this up. Daniel 8. Here it talks, I think, about the United States being the goat from the West that doesn't touch the earth. We do most of it by airplane replays. And we would knock down the uh, mead horn on the ram. And then it says knock down the Persian horn, which apparently is Iran. They claim to be the Persians. And Iran is now going into civil war over that 22-year-old being killed. And they're having to put down protests. So where's that headed? Anyway, the point is here, the he-goat waxed very great in verse 8. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. So whoever breaks the horn of the United States, I think this is referring to, is going to take over, and they're going to have four leaders take over. Now I have seen maps already showing how some of these people intend to divide up America and Canada. So much territory given to China, so much to Russia, so much to 
whoever else, depending on who you're reading. But they talk about four and possibly six uh, different areas of the United States and Canada that will be overseen by those who conquer us. The Bible seems to indicate four. Four horns would come. And one of them came forth, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. Pleasant land would be in the southwest, where the original promised land was. So he'll be up further north, maybe in Canada, Pacific Northwest, wherever it's divided. And he'll look east, he'll look toward the southeast, and he'll look toward the pleasant land, which is in this area. <coughs> and it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. And he is the, magnifies himself, verse 11, to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So this little horn that comes up out of the four governors of the pieces of the United States and Canada, apparently, is going to come forth as the main leader, and he will be then the beast of Revelation, because it says that that one and this one will take away the daily sacrifice from the temple, which is yet to be built. And that's the sign to flee to Zion. Uh, so this little horn will be part of the division. So that tells you right there that they're not going to destroy everything in the infrastructure. They're going to take it over, and then they will live in it and rule it, and then they will come down and take over Jerusalem. Why will they have interest in the southwest U.S., especially southern Utah? I go today to Zion, and it's beautiful, but everybody's not running there for any reason. And I go to the site where the ancient city of Jerusalem was, and there ain't nobody running there, coyotes and rabbits. A few target practices, but nobody lives there. What would cause them to come? Why would they want to overrun it? Why would they want to take it over? Because Isaiah 44 and 45 say that the God's treasures are buried in the area, and the mountain's going to crack open, and all of those treasures are going to show who God is. But there's lots of gold and silver there. There are the temple treasures there. There are all kinds of things that God's people need that are there, and God will protect it with a wall of fire so that his people can build a temple. But oh, are they going to covet those riches? So they'll come and try to take over. And it says the Assyrian will come right here in the context we're reading and pass over even to the neck of the Holy Land of Jerusalem where there has seas on both sides and eventually take it over. Daniel 11 says that right at the end of the chapter. Uh, the king of the... Let's see, where am I going? I want to further down. Here's this individual, probably the one we're reading about, Daniel 8, the little horn that grows up to be a mighty one. Uh, verse 11, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape, Edom and Moab, the chief of the children of Ammon, 
which are primarily Mormons living in this general area. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, the land of Egypt shall not escape, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, or the world. Uh, the tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him, and he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away, and he'll plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains. You know a place that is desolate and has been now for many generations with a seabed on each side of it and it's going to be filled up again and he's going to set it up there and we have to flee to Zion. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. And this is right at the end shortly after when Michael stand up and the first resurrection is talked about in chapter 12. So this country is going to be taken over, but not destroyed. Let's see a few more things. I won't turn there. We've read it. I've referred to it many times in Jeremiah 50 and 51. It talks about how uh, at the time that the Assyrian is threatening to come, the remnant will flee just ahead of the northern army to Zion. And then he talks about civil war. It says there will be rumors, and then in another year, violence in the land, ruler against ruler, speaking of this land. So we're going to have our Congress people, our presidents, our vice presidents, killing each other. And when this starts happening, you're going to have the people of the land also start killing each other as they take sides. They are pushing very hard right now for a civil war. You know who knows this? China and Russia know it. And our leaders, as it says also in Jeremiah 50:51, are going to shake hands and sell us out. They're going to make a deal with the Assyrians to sell us out. Is that what you got taught in your civics class? No, but it's going to happen. Now, that means that they're doing it now. Didn't the Clinton sell secrets to the Chinese? Didn't Hunter Biden have all these deals? Didn't Joe Biden just tell the mayor of Fort Myers nobody up but he blanked blank with a Biden? He knows he's protected at this point by all those people behind him, and nobody's going to mess with him. Because he knows what's going on behind the scenes. And he knows that he and Hunter and others, Hillary, Pelosi, her husband's been dealing with the Chinese for years, making billions of dollars. They're in cahoots. They have in mind to destroy us, our own leaders, and they're making deals as we sit here. They don't want this nation destroyed. They want to take it over. So they're working with our leaders who are causing our destruction, as we just read, to do it. And how easier to do it than to take all these guns that we have and have us start killing each other with them and put the nation in total disarray as they, in the meantime, are destroying our military, 
giving all of our material away, and we have no capacity to replace it anymore. And our fighter jet parts are made in China, and they're not going to send us anymore. And all of our electrical equipment and big transformers are made in China, and they'll quit sending them here anymore. And if they destroy a lot of our electric, we'll have no way to fix it. And if the internet goes down, you can't make a transaction. Every store you go to now takes the credit card and it all goes by internet. They get a civil war started, they can take it all down, and we will be absolutely helpless. They won't need nuclear bombs. All they'll need to do is start enough trouble so that our nation is in upheaval and then send in UN peacekeepers and Russians and Chinese they're already amassed on our borders in Canada and Mexico and some are already here I've seen some of them talked to some of them actually they're here all they have to do is waltz in and start shooting kill a third well, a third of them are going to die of famine and pestilence. That's going to weaken us an awful lot, isn't it? So we'll be weakened by famine and pestilence. We'll be weakened by civil war. And our leaders selling us out. And all they have to do is waltz in and kill a th another third. And then take a third captive. And we're all done. So they're going to promote this nuclear war scenario. But it isn't going to happen. Not if these scriptures are fulfilled the way they're written. And I think God has a better idea than these people who are writing articles about nuclear war. It's just not needed. Uh, let me, I said I'd maybe cut this short, maybe I'll cut it long. Let's go to Revelation 6 here. I want to I make one more point. Now, we read about Revelation 6 in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, where Christ is talking about the things that will happen uh, that will be at the end of the age. And he talks about some things that will happen, but this isn't quite the end. You'll remember there in Matthew 24, war and rumors of war and so on. And then you have these seals back here. It mentions them in chapter 5, but they are starting to be opened in chapter 6. You'll notice that these seals bring a lot of trouble. But then when the seventh seal is opened, that opens the trumpets, seven trumpets. And there is an incredible increase in death and destruction from the seals into the trumpets. And then when the seventh trump sounds and the first resurrection occurs, the seven last plagues are turned loose. And the level of violence and death goes way up from there until no flesh would be saved alive if Christ didn't intervene. So the seals are not as bad by comparison, but they're still bad. So the Lamb, which is Christ, opened the first seal, and I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow... And a crown was given him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, some have said that a white horse represents 
religion and how they're going to promote a one world religion and destroy the rest of the religions, Christianity primarily, will be destroyed. And the white horse might represent false preachers because he does talk about them coming there in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Uh, but he has a certain capacity to kill with a bow and arrow. Not as much so as bigger uh, items of destruction. I don't want to concentrate too much on this until we get down to another one. Verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, red representing blood. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword, not just a bow, but a great sword. So, a lot of death and destruction. Well, we're seeing this going on. There are a lot of wars going on right now on the earth. They haven't reached the proportions of things that it says about the trumpets or the seven last plagues. But they are going on, as Christ said in Matthew 24, they would be. And then, uh, a black horse in the verse 5. He that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. That's how you weigh out grain and food is by the pound, by the kilogram, whatever. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see you hurt not the oil and the wine. So this one is able to cut back on the amount of food that is available. Wheat and barley mentioned grains first, but not total removal of food because it says don't hurt uh, the oil and the wine. So it's a partial famine, not a total famine yet. Notice verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now this escalates. His name that sat on him was death. And hell, or the grave, followed with him. So wherever he went, there was death and burial. And power was given to them over a fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So considerably more power given to this fourth beast than the first three. Then the fifth one goes on into the martyrdom and killing of Christians. But this pale horse is of interest to me. Why? Because if you look it up in the Greek, it doesn't say pale. The definition of pale is greenish. And if you look up the root word there for greenish, where it came from, it's just outright green. So the pale horse is not a greenish horse, or it's not a pale horse, it's greenish or green. <laughs> How many of us have ever seen a green horse? I've seen palominos and blacks and spotted and browns and all colors of... I haven't ever seen a pink horse, I don't think. And I haven't seen a green horse. can't recall ever having seen a green horse. So where does this green horse come from? I think we should make a connection there immediately. What have we got in charge now? The greenies. 
The greenies are taking away our oil. They're taking away our gas. They're taking away all the fossil fuel things that we use to run a country or a world off. They're trying to turn us into vegans and feed us crickets instead of cows. They're going to all this stuff to have a green world. And the people behind it have our destruction in mind. And I think God foresaw this whole turn to the earth movement, turn to the green side, knowing that they were going to use it not for our betterment, not to make us healthier, not to make us stronger, but to destroy it and use greening as an excuse to do so. And this one has more power than the first three, if you'll notice. More power to kill. So the greenies are coming after the weenies. And that's what Americans are. We can't stand up for our rights anymore. We got normalcy by us. We don't think our government would kill us. We don't think the green movement would kill us. We even took a lot of us to vaccination thinking they wouldn't kill us. And people just fall over so often. And they planned this so it would take three years before it would run its full course and kill a lot of people. They just gave the NRPA or whatever VA vaccine to 200 cows and 35 dropped dead immediately. Just bam, hit the ground. That's the vaccine they've been given people. And it's part of the green movement. So when we read the Bible, we need to realize it's up to date. And I don't think you need to fear a nuclear attack. Now they might possibly use some very limited battlefield nukes in Ukraine or something. I'm not saying it won't happen. It could. But not a mass general nuclear war. It's just not going to happen. They don't want us our land destroyed. They want us destroyed. And they're going about every means to do it. And these plague, or these uh, seals, and this being unleashed on us, are part of what is happening this very day. I believe these seals have been opened. And we're seeing this happening right now. It is going to get worse, because when it gets to the trumpet plague, it worsens greatly. We don't have time to go into that today. But this is the beginning of it. We're in the first quarter, as I said. Uh, World War III has started, and it will escalate and get worse and worse, just like the fields get worse, the plagues, the trumpet plagues get worse, and then the seven last plagues are even worse. So it's a thing in progress today. It has started, and it's going to get worse and worse as the days go by. Now they're not just sabotaging Gazprom, but now the railroads blowing up the bridges. They're making it worse for each other, and this thing will escalate. And we will be destroyed, but it will be according to the way the scriptures say, not according to what the Washington Post might say. Because God just opens it up and tells us exactly how it's going to happen. Most of it from within, and then it'll just be a piece of cake to come in and take over once we have been destroyed from the inside out. 
So let's get rid of our normalcy bias and realize things aren't normal anymore. And our government does not have our best interests at all in mind anymore. They are trying to destroy us. Biden, Bush, Trump, all of them are trying to destroy us. Clintons are still there. So are the Obamas. They're all in on it. And they are in close communication with Russia and China. And that's why Russia and China will hold off because they're saying, don't attack us yet. We've got to get a lot of people stirred up. We've got to get a lot of them killed. We've got to get total chaos. And then you can come in. And that's what's going on. They've already made the deal. They've shaken hands. Now our rulers are going to start it. And then the others will come in and finish it, as the scriptures say. God knows how it's going to happen. And he's told us. Now I'm not telling you it isn't going to happen. I'm just saying it's not going to be with a big nuclear war. If I'm reading the scriptures right, I think I am. We're still going to be taken and destroyed. And the only one who can protect us and help us is our God in heaven. And we'd better be getting close to him because that is our only hope. The only hope we need because it'll work. So seek God and realize that you can't trust anything that Washington says. Whatever they say, you can probably say, well, it must be just the opposite of that. Whatever they say, think the opposite, and you'll come up with the truth, as a general rule. Okay, my voice lasted that far, I'm surprised, but I hope the rest of your Sabbath goes well.